Good morning. Uh, so I am listed in the bulletin, but Nathan Bowman is my team member today, so we will both be doing the scripture reading. Today's reading is from Exodus 3, 1 through 12, Moses at the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came through Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the bush. He looked, and the bush was, was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush has not, is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their ta taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. For the word of God in Scripture for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. We all know the story of the Wizard of Oz. That little man that was behind a curtain, working up to project this this very scary wizard that ruled the land. It's a classic story of masks, of a man who was afraid, of a man who needed to have control and who projected something that was larger and bigger than him up for others to see. I'm also a fan of the musical Wicked and the book, which took the whole story of the Wizard of Oz to a different level, where we learn the story behind the story of the rest of the characters. We learn the story behind the Wicked Witch of the West, named Elphaba. Elphaba, who had been born with green skin, and her entire life she had been at the mercy of those who made fun of her and bullied her, and so over time, Elphaba put up her own mask her own mask of, of wearing black and being tough, of not letting anyone in, and then ended up even a mask of, of running away and, and fighting off injustice in such a way that kept her hidden. 
We also learn the story of Glenda the Good Witch, who we see lighting down in maybe the movie The Wizard of Oz, but we learn in the book The Wicked that Glenda's own masks were about her beauty, were about protecting her popularity, was about protecting the power that that popularity gave her in society. Masks are the ways we cope. They are the ways we've learned to be in the world. Masks are often things that maybe worked well for us, depending on the family that we grew up in and what we've had to do to get to where we are. Whether it's being successful, whether it's pasting a smile on our face, whether it's also always having something going on that we have to talk about. There's all different kinds of masks. They're not all about being perfect. Some of our masks are about being imperfect imperfect, and kind of always being a mess. When we talked about our core values and the group that went away wrote them out and brought them back, the first one that they put on the list was dropping our masks. We invite each other to be our true selves. And as the leadership of the church, as Session looked at that, we thought, oh, we can't put that one first. (laughs) No one's going to want to come to church if the first thing we say about ourselves is dropping our masks. We invite each other to be our true selves. That's just way too scary. It's almost like, you know, asking you to take your defenses down as soon as you walk in the door. And yet this was one that remained in our list, dropping our masks. We invite each other to be our true selves. This language of true self and false self was something that's been, in contemporary times at least, really introduced by the Catholic priest and monk Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton introduced this language as the true selves are really what is within us, while the false self is what we project out into the world. Richard Rohr takes it further. He says that your true self is that part of you that is going to live forever and sees truthfully. Your true self is divine breath passing through you. That's what we all long for, isn't it? But then he defines the false self. He says your false self is how you define yourself outside of love, relationship, or divine union. After you have spent many years laboriously building this separate self with all its labels and preoccupations, you are very attached to it. And why wouldn't you be? It's what you know and all you know. To move beyond the false self will always feel like losing or dying. W.H. Auden said, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. That is written about the false self. (laughs) And so as we've been talking through these core values, we've been walking alongside um, some stories in scripture, but also Colossians chapter 3 in which Paul has this very small verse. He says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
for you have died, and I believe there he's talking about the false self, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so it is that true self that, that is somehow hidden away in, in a, some sort of a sacred space in our relationship to Christ. And it's a journey, it's the journey of the spiritual life to return to that, to find that true self, to come more and more into it. In the story that Emily and Nathan read earlier, we see Moses encountering such a moment. Moses has already had quite a bit of his false self stripped away. You may remember that Moses was born a slave to a Jewish woman in Egypt. And in order to preserve his life, his mother put him in a basket and an Egyptian princess found him. So in some ways, before he even had a choice, Moses had a false self. He had the false self of being an Egyptian prince when truly he was a Jewish boy. And as he came to realize that true self, his response was to begin to put on another false self, to be the defender of his people, to be angry at the injustice the Egyptians were, were inciting onto the Jewish people. And so he, in his anger, murdered an Egyptian guard. And because of that, he was forced to flee out of Egypt, and that's where we find him in this story. He's had many years walking in the desert after having lost that, those false selves, and now he's a shepherd. And I wonder if maybe he had spent long enough without some of those masks that he was able to actually see that burning bush that was lit up. Maybe that bush had always been on fire in some way, but there was something about that day where Moses was just that much un more unguarded that he could see this bush. But whatever the circumstances, he stays long enough to watch the bush, to stay there and notice that something is a little different. And as he he approaches it, God asks him to get even a little more real and take off his shoes. Another metaphor for how we approach God. We become vulnerable. Moses is afraid to even look at the bush, afraid that he is going to be in some way annihilated by God, the divine presence. And yet God invites him to continue to stay. And in that conversation, he finds a calling. He finds that his longing for liberation is met in God's longing for liberation. In that conversation, he receives an invitation to go back and to free his people, reminding us that as we find our true selves, it's not a journey that we just take for ourselves. It's a journey that we take on behalf of the liberation of others, and sometimes even the world. I think many of us have had burning bush moments in our lives. Life may be a little bit of a series of burning bush to burning bush to burning bush as we uncover our true selves. I know one of my 
very first almost um, visceral moments was, um, as some of you have heard, when my friend died when I was 22. My friend Tim was murdered. And in that grief over him, I found that I, I didn't have anything strong enough within me to be able to appropriately handle the grief and the sorrow that I had. And even as that 22-year-old, I remember that feeling of, of thinking, this self that I have is not meant to carry this great a grief, so I'm going to have to go deeper. And through the tears of that grief and through the unmasking that happened during that time, I went deeper into my true self. And indeed, each of us have moments in our lives of, of grief, of loss, of maybe incredible beauty that we don't know how to handle, of things that invite us to take off just another mask and to be more fully present to that self that is hidden with Christ in God, that place where God's divinity resides within us. Like Moses we find in those places that what feels so intimate and so personal also becomes something that's very communal. In my time of grief uh, during those, that season, it was the same year I was living in Los Angeles at the time in which the Rodney King trial broke open and the riots happened. It was the same year in which I was uh, working in South central Los Angeles and found that that grief and that true self that was trying to emerge was met in the grief and the pain and the poverty I was experiencing in the world. And so this is the, the logic behind this core value. Dropping our masks, we invite each other to be our true selves. This journey of finding our true selves is not just our journey alone. It's a journey we take in community. It's a journey we take with each other. Yesterday, we had our leadership retreat uh, session for the session, and we spent all day talking more about where we're going as a church. And we had a lot of masks coming off and people saying, I'm actually really lonely. I'm struggling to find friendship. I'm struggling to find meaningful conversations. And how is this place, amid all the programs we have and, and the opportunities to connect, are we really a place where we're talking with each other, where we're sitting across the table and hearing and inviting each other to be our true selves? David Brooks, in his book, the Second Mountain says that 35% of Americans over 45 are chronically lonely. So if you're feeling lonely, you are not alone. He says that in 2012, 5.9% of young people said that they suffered from severe depression. By 2015, just three years later, it had jumped three percentage points to 8.2%. Masks, they breed loneliness, and loneliness is an epidemic in our world and in our society. This morning, as I was 
getting ready to come over here. I got an alert on the New York Times app on my phone saying, reporting that the New York Times has done a, a study and or has found, has been doing reporting and has discovered that uh, tech companies are saying there was 45 million images of children being abused just last year on the internet. And as, as tragic and wrong and awful and unjust and violent as that is, to me it's a symptom of this deeper problem of all the masks that are up and all the ways we try to fight to keep them up. And the struggle we have to truly be our true selves with each other. Our suffering in our lives is often a sign that our masks are dropping. And suffering is inevitable. It's not that we take off our masks and find our true selves and go skipping down that yellow brick road. <laughs> Indeed, it's over and over that life invites us to go deeper into our true selves. So wherever you find yourself this morning, I invite you to be there with it and to be with each other. This is our journey. And in dropping our masks and finding our true selves, we find Christ. We find the truth that we are hidden with Christ in God. There's a song that has been with me uh, for a long time, and it's called You Are Here. I'd like to read you the lyrics, and then uh, Ginger and Joy and I will sing it for you. You wonder why, you wonder when, you wonder how now and then, how you became who you've become. You are here, and yet you dream of being there, of being where you think the good life has begun. In every darkened hallway, every fallen dream, every battle lost, and every shadow in between will bring you to your knees and closer to the reason. Who can say who made the choice in the matter of your birth? Who brought about that fateful day? For you are here and born with fire and desire. You're the only one that can stand in your own way. And every broken arrow, every hardened smile, every foolish gamble, every lonely mile will bring you to your knees and closer to the reason. And every sign of love, every seed that's growing, every sweet surrender to that silent knowing will bring you to your knees and closer to the reason. And there's no making cases for getting out or trading places. And there's no turning back. You are here. You are here. Truly be here and find ourselves in Christ, with God, and together in Christ. So let's sing. And as we sing, we invite the ushers to come and receive this morning's offering.
wonder why you wonder when you wonder how now and then how you became who you've become you are here and yet you dream of being there of being where you think the good life has begun and every darkened hallway every fallen dream Every battle lost and every shadow in between will bring you to your knees and closer to the Silent knowing will bring you to your 